Hi there, and welcome along to episode 97 of the Jersnet Weekly Podcast, the totally free and independent Rangers podcast made by the fans for the fans, and where the content is always 100% absolutely free. It is not just the podcast that we have here at Jersnet. Uh, and if you haven't already done so, it's, it's very worth your time heading over to www.jersnet.co.uk and having a look at all the articles, all the uh, match previews, match reviews, and uh, the friendly discussion forum where you can find myself and the other guests this evening. Uh, and you can join in the conversation at the website. Uh, the pod uh, is, as I say, episode 97. So we are fast approaching the centenary. Uh, we would, of course, still encourage any subscriptions, any likes, shares, comments, anything you can give us as we uh, try and grow our profile. Um, that would always be very much appreciated. The pod uh, is live this evening. It's just gone 9.30 on uh, Sunday evening. But if you're not listening live, the pod is always available for download from first thing on a Monday morning. And that's available on Acast, iTunes, YouTube, CastBox, Stitcher, and even on Spotify. Uh, so there is no excuse for not giving us a follow on that as well. Uh, my name's Ross Bennett and I'm going to be your Jersnet podcast host for this evening. Um, what we're going to be doing tonight is taking a wee look. We were going to start by looking at the pre-season friendlies, but the rate of the pace of all of this Alfredo Morelos chat, uh, I think it's only fair that we discuss that first off. We'll then take a wee look at the games against Motherwell and Coventry City that are taking place in the week. Um, we will then have a little preview ahead to the, the SPFL Premier League starting next weekend with a difficult trip up to Pataudry. Um, and then we will close the show by by discussing our memories of David Hagen. Um, obviously, it is a, a very sad week this week in, in, in the Rangers family with the, the sad news that David Hagen sadly lost his, his fight with motor neurons disease earlier on in the weekend and passed away. Um, and I know that I speak for myself and for everyone else at Jersnet when I uh, just want to pass on the very best of wishes to uh, his, his loved ones that have been left behind. Now, with me this evening to compensate for the fact that I'm a bit of a fud who doesn't really know what he's talking about, we have got two of Scottish football's most respected journalists. Uh, first of all, from the prestigious Dundee Evening Telegraph, we have David Wren. David, how are you? Good, thanks, Ross. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure about that, that title, uh, for Stuart. I mean, I'm, I'm always <laughs> one of the most prestigious journalists, but uh, yeah, no, all good. Um, certainly reeling after the amount of news we've had today, but all good to, to happen on a Sunday, so it gives us plenty to talk about. No, absolutely. Um, we, we have a, a jam-packed show and we'll, we'll try and cram it all in. Um, also with us, as we say, is, is Stuart Weir. Um, you'll have heard him, all, not just on this show, but on the, the nation's leading sports broadcast. Stuart, would you say that we are more or less professional than talk sport? <laughs> I would have to say I was searching around the study there looking for whoever it was you were talking about. It didn't <laughs> it resembled me in no way, shape, or form. Um no, it's uh, delighted to be back on this evening. Uh, and as David rightly says, um there's a, a enough to be talking about uh, tonight. Is we're almost getting back to some sort of form of uh, normality. And normality, I think, uh, around Rangers means transfer speculation uh, and around uh, a certain striker as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's kind of the news that, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that you you expect it, but it doesn't make it any easier when it when it does come along. Um, we had the rumours breaking around about 10.30 this morning. seems to be stemming from a, a French journalist who's, who's tweeted the fact that Alfredo Morelos has agreed terms with uh, the French side Lille. Um, now, obviously, there had been rumours actually for a little while that bids had been coming in and it was a bid from France. Uh, so this isn't a, a great surprise to, to see this kind of development. Stuart, we'll start with yourself. What's your immediate reaction to, to Morelos being linked with a club like Lille? And considering how well Rangers have done uh, in the Veolia Trophy, is it fair to say that stepping to League Anne is a step down for Morelos? I think uh, this this story is actually for a lot of people it will have, you know become a reality this morning. I think actually this story has been kicking around from about 
I think maybe Friday, maybe even Thursday last week, that there was a, a connection or there was a link with uh, Lille um, looking at Morelos. It seems to be a slightly, uh, how can I put it, reverse engineered uh, transfer if it was to come around that the player agrees the deal and then the clubs start to speak. <laughs> you know, I know, I know. It's all about player power just now, but um, this would be this would be a new one even in me. So, uh, I, listen, I, I don't think there's been any real formal discussions. I know there there has been uh, obviously wind of this bid being uh, you know offered or tabled, and as it stands just now, I think there's you know I, I don't think it's just Leo that are maybe interested uh, or an interested party. Uh, I think it would be beneficial for Rangers as well if they opened up discussions, if this was to become public, that they actually made it, you know, known that there were other clubs involved in this in, as well. Now, whether that's just to try and drive up the transfer fee or whether it's legitimate, I think it's actually the latter. Uh, you know, you don't you don't have a, a track record with Morales and not attract attention. However, I think as it stands just now, this is a distraction that I don't think, you know, Rangers fans don't really appreciate it just now. I think the club will appreciate it even less, given the fact that um, you know we're only six days away um, from the start of a, a a new league season, and that would make it would make things rather rushed if uh, Morelos was to leave and Rangers had to find a replacement. Well, that's that's the real concern. Um, there's a few things in there, Stuart, that I think we we probably need to unpack. Um, so, David. What are your thoughts then on, on the financials of the deal? Because it's something that Morelos has been with us for three years now and, and in that time he's got around about a goal every other game looking at his Cal- Rangers career stats. And the narrative that, that we have as fans have had around him is that the, the financial value has gone up and up and up and it probably peaked about six months ago. Now bearing in mind that what we're talking about here is, is not just someone who scores goals against you know jobber Scottish teams. But this is the top scorer from this season's Europa League and has consistently found the net against, you know, top class European opposition. Now, there's a lot of rumour and there's a lot of speculation, but depending on the sources that you listen to, the fee involved is anywhere from, sounds like 12 to 20 million, probably somewhere in that bracket there. Um, Now, when you consider sell-on fees to Helsinki, the agent will obviously take a, a nice little whack of that where would you hope to be placing the, the, the value of Morelos, considering that the, the stat is he's only actually scored one goal in 2020? It's quite difficult because you look at you look at other deals, um, and especially in England and stuff like that, and you'll sort of try to unpack them and, and wonder where where Morelos falls into that. And also, I would, I would probably say Dembele as well. Um, you know, it was obviously, don't get me wrong, was a good player, a really good player. I think he'll probably go on to do to do well after going to Leon. But he'd been injured for a long time and sort of in the Celtic team. He went for about I think 20, 20 million. Um, so Morelos for me at this moment in time, if if you offered me, you know, fifty million and, and maybe a decent sell-on clause, probably would take that. But I mean, anywhere between fifteen and eighteen, I think would be would be fair enough. Um, as you say, I mean, he's he's fallen off a bit from where we were, uh, sort of winter time. Um, so, yeah, I think between fifteen and eighteen. But I think that selling clause is, is key for us uh, as a club. I think we need to be really looking at the best way to move players on and ensure that it's it's the best for, for us. Because I think for many years we've we've not done that, um, and it's come back to bite us. So if we're going to let go someone like Morelos, we want to make sure that we're not only making um, the best possible deal happen now, but uh, that we're going to benefit in the future as well. Well, certainly. I mean, if, if Morelos has always been quite open about wanting to play in the Premier League, and if this is the stepping stone that gets him there, then you'd expect Premier League teams would be paying fairly hefty sum for uh, for someone coming from that league. David, to what extent do you think that COVID will have a, you know some kind of impact on the finances of the deal? The way that I see it is that Clubs like Rangers, you know, will have taken a, a, a significant hit on the finances, uh, well, the lack of football, the lack of crowds. Um, but then any buying club as well, surely, is feeling a bit of a financial pinch. So do you think that 
A, we might be more desperate for money and, and in that sense, um, more compelled to take a lower offer? Or B, do you think that the buying club might actually find their finances a little bit more limited than they would have done six months ago? Um, I mean, if, if the figures are, are right, which, as you say, range depending on who you listen to, but I mean, the Athletic, who I think have had quite a good um, relationship with a, certainly people within the club of late, uh, pitched at about 13 million. Now, if that's accurate, then that would suggest that we're not, you know, taking low ball offers because for me, 13 would be about a low ball offer and something that wasn't completely laughable, but something that wasn't quite the level that we were hoping for. So if we're knocking back 13 million, you've got to think that the club are, are serious about what they want and they're willing to, to you know, fight for that. And listen, I, I, I've no doubt and I agree with what you said there. You know, I think everyone in football will stay on the pinch and I think you'll notice that um, from the, some of the deals or lack of deals that, that are done. Uh, you know, I thought I was quite surprised that we shelled out the money we did for Hadji at the time we did, you know, and it was still very much up in the air. Maybe that's just a block conference from the board and Stephen Gerrard. But, um, yeah, I mean, as I say, I think when we're knocking back that sort of money, which is big money for us um, and for any club in Scotland, then that would suggest to me that we're not going to be low-balled by another club when it comes to, to our biggest players, which is good because I think in the past, again, you know, going back to the past and, and what we've done wrong in the transfer market, um, certainly that would be one as well, you know, not taking decent valuations for a player. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully we're, we're going to play hardball and make sure that we get the best the best deal for the club. Yeah, and I suppose that that's where it becomes important to, to know if there are other teams interested. And, and, and as Stuart says, I think there probably must be. And, and maybe that information finding its way to the Atlantic, that the bid is lower than you'd expect. Uh, is is the first step in in drawing out some kind of bidding war. I don't know how much a bidding war really happens in in reality, but um, it it might suit Rangers to to put out in the public domain that the bid was low and that we are still listening to to any kind of significant or serious offer. Now, Stuart, you mentioned in in passing there something that I wanted to focus on, which was that it seems a little bit topsy turvy that Morelos has agreed personal terms with the club. Whilst you know, it seems that Rangers are quite keen to stress no bid has been accepted and there's no kind of formal offer on the table. Now, am I being naive here or is that not a little bit untoward? Is there not something wrong about this? And is, does this fall into the area of, of tapping a player up? <laughs> um, there is such a thing as tapping a player up. It, it, it is especially easy to tap a player up if a player wants to be tapped up, um, I think you have to flip that one on its head slightly because I, I don't think there's any doubt that in the, that for a, a period of time that Morelos has been a player who, you know, you referred to earlier on, has maybe had his head turned ever since the, the you know, the Chinese bid um, came in and... I think there are a number of contributing factors here. You know, I think some of the transfers that um, the Rangers have uh, made have been geared or designed towards the fact that Morelos might not want or might not be there. I think Rangers are maybe, I must say they've spent money they, they don't have, but I, I think they've always looked the fact that um, uh, Morelos would eventually uh, depart and would eventually go um and that they would need a you know they would need to formulate a plan to first of all bring in a replacement um and also to to accommodate what they might do in the transfer market thereafter um just now um I, you know i i find myself think that, you know thinking along the lines that maybe this Maybe this relationship has has run its uh, it's run its course in terms of uh, you know the duration and in terms of it, it being a a partnership that you have a guy scoring goals for the club who is uh, you know in the good books of the fans and of the manager 
I, I think there has been, and it might it might be down to the last you know four or five months where there's been no football and people have perceived things you know differently. Um, I, it might be what has gone before that Morelos has done literally nothing since the turn of the year. And, you know, with him not contributing the way he should have done, that Rangers challenge in terms of the league title uh, fell away, uh, that people now actually realise that he scored a lot of goals and he obviously has a, a, a terrific record in Europe. Is that uh, uh, make him a, does that make him a one-season wonder that he's, he's scored as many goals against a decent opposition? Because if you look at it, long term, he is actually in a position where he's not actually scored against either the biggest rivals or the best team um, you know, in terms of trophy wins and success in the country. He's never actually you know, he's not actually he, he doesn't have a, a record that actually um, is maybe one that you, you would reflect on as making him some sort of legend or all-time Rangers great. So I you know, I think there are a combination of things where I think maybe this whole relationship has actually run its course and, and now is time for the club and the player to, to part. And I think I get a feeling that may actually suit both parties. So just to be clear then, Stuart, if he does go in this window, you wouldn't be retiring the the, the jersey number twenty. Uh, um, well, listen, you could retire the jersey number 20 because it's inconsequential number 20, isn't it? Given that, that, that through the history and the pantheon of, of Rangers as a football club and as an entity, number 20 doesn't really mean that very much. Uh, you know, it's not it's not 1 to 11. And I think most people, I, I think most people look at it if you've contributed, um, you know, over a number of seasons and a number of years, that he would wear one of those jerseys, one to eleven. It's not. It's not as if he's Johan Cruyff and has made famous the number fourteen shirt. Um, it's not as if um, you know, if you want to retire, it retire. I do. Uh, to be honest, I, I wouldn't be doing that either because you're losing a squad number. And to be honest, I really don't think he's contributed um, as much as some people think. Uh, maybe he has done, he scored a lot of goals, he's got a good track record when it comes to scoring goals, um, the percentage of goals scored over the number of games played, but ultimately, A, what have Rangers won um, during his time at Ibrox, and B, against the best in the domestic competition, how many goals has he scored against them? And I think... You know, you'll have people saying that he's nothing more than a flat-track bully and he can score goals against everyone else except the, the team that really matters. And I think there, there are one or two who would actually... That argument might favour them just now. Now, David, we we found ourselves in a position um, only four or five days ago that Stephen Gerrard was was talking about how he's, he's very open about needing another striker, um, that he didn't want to find himself in a position where he's caught short uh, with Morelos being suspended or Defoe getting injured. Lo and behold, Defoe gets himself injured. Um, and, and whilst we don't know the, the extent of that, it, it's probably going to be a few months before we see Jermaine Defoe back on the pitch. Um, we now look like we're going to be losing Morelos in this window because as, as Stuart refers to, even if he isn't sold to Lille, the, the boy's head's been turned and it's very clear that he wants to go. So how much more difficult has this you know, conundrum or this this problem in the in the striking area become and, and really what the Rangers need to do now to reinforce. Um yeah, I mean it is difficult. I think it's I think it's uh you know strange turn of events, but I wouldn't be surprised if the club has known for a while that, you know, these bids or of a steal would potentially be on the table. So um you know it wasn't surprising to see Stephen Gerrard sort of set a stall out last night. I think it's a it's a trick every manager uses to sort of Show um, that reinforcements are needed. I think even when you look at the amount of substitutes that we had on the bench um, yesterday, there wasn't quite as many as Coventry had. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the idea of enforcement, reinforcement, sorry, you know, going into a big game on on Saturday, which you know, whatever the circumstances behind closed doors or not, is you know, it's always daunting going to Petodre and, and especially in the first game of the season. So. Um, we're going to need to act fast, and I think that means both in, you know, getting Morelos out the door if that's the way it's going, 
but also bringing someone in. Um, you know, we've got five days, six days to do it now. Uh, but it's, it's vitally important, and I'm sure you'll come on to it, but, you know, it's there's not been a shortage of options uh, <laughs> going back to Little this morning in, in the Southland in terms of who people would like to see. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's vitally important that at least one striker, I think, comes in uh, between now and, and next Saturday, because I think... No matter what happens with Morelos, the likelihood that even if he's still at the club, he'll play next Saturday, you would think um, the chance of that are slim. So, you know, we're going to have to really get moving. And, and maybe maybe Ross Wilson and, and Gerard uh, have something going on in the background, but certainly we're going to need to make that, make that reality sooner rather than later, I think. Yeah, well, listen, this is exactly why it was a mistake to let Eduardo Herrera leave the club. Um I mean, you sort of referred to it there, David, that there's plenty of names flying around. So could you talk us through one or two of those of, of who seems to be the more likely candidates to replace Alfredo? Yeah, I mean, there's one that, there's one that I like. Um, it sort of splits opinion a wee bit, as I've noticed today. Uh, but it seemed that someone we were linked with before they went to Anderlecht from, from Leeds, uh, Kamal Roo. He, to me, is a is a nice a nice player. I think would actually fit nicely into the way we play as well, you know, he's, he's quite an agile striker, he's fast, he gets in and about the defenders, um, can finish, and, you know, he's shown that uh, in his final season at Leeds, and he scored a few goals at Anderlecht last season, albeit, um, I think he only played 14 or 15 times in the league, but to me, that would be a, that would be a good sign, and someone that's in, you know, reaching the prime years of his career, and has proven track record in the championship in England, uh, you know, to me, that would be a, a good piece of business. Um, but, you know, the others that have been mentioned, uh, you know, the more home, homegrown ones, I suppose, or, sorry, not homegrown, but in Scotland, uh, would be Dykes and, and Cosgrove that have been mentioned. But to me, that would be, they would be options as maybe a second or third striker. Um, and I think the likes of Roof would probably represent more of a, you know, a main uh out and out striker that we play every week and actually as I said you know I think the way we play and the football we play I think would suit someone like Ruth who is maybe not quite as physically strong as Morelos but certainly can link the play um, as fast uh, as an eye for goal um, and I don't think you know that, to me there isn't a straight swap for Morelos he's one of the most you know unique strikers that I've seen at Rangers in recent years anyway, and that he's just so, you know, the way he uses, you know, his, his rear end to, to just control defenders um, and the way he get, puts himself about and his unconventional way of finishing uh, even, you know, I, I think back to that goal against Porto last season, and that was just one of the most unconventional strikes you'll ever see, you know, uh, that sort of half full volley, uh, the left foot in the bottom corner. So like, uh, are we going to get a like for like? Probably not, because it's going to be really difficult to, to do that, I think, um, because there aren't many like him. So to me, I, I'm very much in the in the roof camp, and if that was a deal that was possible, um, I would be delighted to see him come. And, and then you'd maybe look at someone like, uh, I don't know, Cosgrove or Dykes, who are young and um, could come in and play second or third fiddle and be brought on in games where we maybe need that physical presence uh, in the final 20 minutes or whatever. Um, they're the ones off the top of my head that I think should be in the, in the run, but certainly Ruth, I think, would fit in quite well to, to the way we play. Is there any concern, just looking at Kamar Ruth's stats here, um, so obviously this year, uh, and elect 13 appearances, six goals, but his time at Leeds... 110 appearances and 28 goals. You know, you're looking at a goal every four games there. Is that really prolific enough to replace the material contribution that you get from Morelos? Well, I think in that last season, he did well enough, you know, to get the move. Um, didn't quite shoot him to the, to the top flight, but, you know, that league is a particularly difficult one. Um, and the actual demands of it. Now, I genuinely think if he came to, to Rangers, uh, and the way we play and the fact we're always in the front foot and we're generally you know um, the better team in the game yeah I do I, gen I genuinely think he would be a, 
could be a good option for us. And obviously, I mean, it's all it's all up to up to personal preference. But having you know watched actually today, I've watched a wee bit of sort of the way the way he plays and what he can do. And I, I do think his skill set would would lend itself to the way we play. And I mean, for me this season as well. And the key thing to this season will be goals coming from elsewhere. And I think you really want to see Kent scoring a few more goals. You want to see Hadji scoring a few more goals. And I, and I think you'll probably find that even when you look at the goals that Ryan Jack scored last season, it was actually, a, I watched a wee highlight deal the other day. And I mean, I, I forgot some of the goals and actually the amount of goals he scored. And I think he'll be looking to continue that as well. Um, and then whoever plays off the right for us, uh, contributing. Um you know, I think we want to see goals coming from elsewhere on the pitch. But yeah, I take a point. Listen, in terms of his overall goal scoring record over the past, you know, five, six, seven years, perhaps not quite as prolific as you would want. But I think, given um, his style of play and the way he puts himself about, he would fit quite well into what we are trying to do at Rangers in terms of, of, of style. Um, but also, you know, has 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 scored a few goals. Maybe not to the level of Morelos, but certainly, you know, scored a few goals in his last season at Leeds and what is a difficult, you know, a really difficult league. Another thing, just just to 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 pick up on what you've said there, I mean the other thing about uh, about Rufa is that I mean, what age is he? 20, 26, 27, 27? Um I mean, he's an experienced player. I don't think he's bringing any of the kind of baggage that maybe likes of Morelos might have to take with him into you know I, I think he's a guy who's a pretty focused player he knows what he wants to do not everybody picks up you know picks up their boots and leaves championship football in, in England and heads for the continent it seems to be a move that, that has you know worked for him up to a point again if you also look at his time at Leeds his strike record um, or his strike rate was, was 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 pretty okay, but that was a that was a really troubled Leeds United team that he played in with a lot of changes um, on and off the pitch, and also uh, you know a, a, a huge amount of pressure on those that actually played for Leeds, given what the expectations levels were. So I think I think that side of it, it you know having been at a club where there was a lot being asked of him and actually he, he did deliver the goods, I think that would, you know, set him and Rangers up well if he was to be the replacement. On some of the other names you mentioned there, David, I mean, Dykes is, it has been one where I'm surprised that nobody's actually taken a look at the guy uh, a, a lot sooner. As for Cosgrove, if you are led to believe what Aberdeen apparently knocked back for him a couple of weeks back. I, personally speaking, I don't think Rangers would, are, are going to bid anything like that for him as a number two striker, let alone a number one striker. So, you know, again, this is a big test for Ross Wilson and his, you know, scouting network where you really have to come up with somebody who's going to deliver the goods. You know, this, could, this, this transfer and what happens in this remaining transfer window could be as much of a test for Ross Wilson as it is for the players he actually brings in. I think that's a key point, Stuart. We spoke on the pod last week that Rangers' problem has been contributions in goal scoring from, from outside of Alfredo Morelos. Um, and I think David makes a very good point. You've got Hadji, you've got Kent. Kent, by the way, has never really had a pre-season with us. Last year, he was signed very late on and um, obviously they got injured in his first game. Year before that, again, he came in on loan, but he came in quite late. So to have Ryan Kent available, fit going through a preseason, um, it I think that will make him a slightly different prospect. Joe Aribo as well, you know, he's coming, he's going to get a full preseason with Rangers, and um, I think we're going to see a lot more goals chipping in from, you know, attacking midfielders. So you're right, though, Stuart. This is a huge test for Ross Wilson because. Morelos carried the team in terms of firepower. And Jermaine Defoe chipped in with as much as he could, and he, did, he you know, he did very well considering he was usually coming off the bench and his minutes were limited. But this is the second, you know, relatively serious injury that Jermaine Defoe's had in in the last eighteen months, um, and I, I I doubt it'll be the last. To be frank, uh, age will be catching up on the guy, and um, he will not be contributing ninety minutes week in week out. So. 
we need someone who can who can chip in with 20, 25 goals a season. Um, and on top of that, you want to see it supplemented with with midfield goals because uh, I think it was John McCallum first mentioned on this show. We conceded the same number of goals as Celtic last year. Our problem was goal scoring. Um, so we would hope that you know that is a, a, a the priority for the scouting setup. And I'll just say that that's what slightly worries me about Kamar Roof. And I, I really, really hope to be proven wrong. One thing I've seen, seen terms of the <clears throat> in terms of the squad, and this was something that struck me last night when, when I was watching the, the Coventry game, but we are in a position now where we have a team, and as you mentioned, you know, Ryan Kent, good example. I even look at Joe Rebo, and he's a guy that, that last season did okay, but not quite as, as well as we thought he would. Now coming into his own a wee bit in these friendly games. Um, you know, we maybe just need, you know, the striking department is obviously an issue now, and that's been forced on us uh, due to the foes injury and Morellas. Maybe we would have dipped in the market anyway, who knows. Um, but I think, you know, going into this season, to have such a settled squad, I mean, you look at it, you know, how many players have we brought in? Three, three players so far. And that includes Hadji, who was here last season. You know, that that's something that, that we needed was a really settled squad and, and one that wasn't going to have major upheaval. Because when you look at the when you look at the starting lineup, it's likely to, to start the game on on uh, on Saturday at Aberdeen. You know, probably uh, sorry, McGregor, Barisic, Edmondson, Goldson, Tavernier, um, Kamara, Jack, Aribo, Hadji, Kent, and um, well, <laughs> we'll wait and see. Uh, but generally, you know, that's ten players there who were here last season, and. You know that that's not such a bad thing, really, when you think about it, because it's a more settled squad that, you know, perhaps um, will be more likely to. They'll know a wee bit more about the league, know know what's you know required. We'll know each other more importantly, um, and for guys like Hadji and Kent who that didn't spend preseason to then get that opportunity to, you know, go through their paces and play friendly games with their teammates. You know, I, I'm quite excited about the new season. I'm quite um, optimistic that this new settled squad and the fact that we've, we've not had major upheaval in the summer um, will serve as well, and I, I hope I'm right. Can I just touch on another name that's been, that's been banded about, um, and that would be, uh, you know, Ryan Brewster. And this shows you the difficulties of actually signing a striker who is actually going to deliver. Ryan Brewster has, you know, he's been out and about in terms of loan deals. He's one of the guys who are, you know, he's well thought of in terms of what he's done as a player. He's the kind of player that Liverpool don't know how to use or, or can't really use him or utilise him, but they don't want to, maybe don't want to lose his services. They want to keep him a Liverpool player. So therefore, you'd be looking at a, a, a relatively big fee if it, if, if it was to go beyond a, a loan deal. However, the point I'll make is Brewster is in a position where uh, Dominic Solanke was um, not so, so you know, very much, uh, you know, that long ago. And you look at Solanke leaving Liverpool and, you know, I, 18 months ago moved to Bournemouth for 19 million quid and has contributed the sum total of zip. I mean, he scored... He scored a couple of goals of late, but nothing compared to what a nineteen million pound transfer. So that that was a guy who, you know, for all intents and purposes, was a, I wouldn't say a must-have name, but that was a guy who a great many people rated very very highly. Who had been at a club like Liverpool, knew what it was about at the the, the, the top level, had performed elsewhere, and absolutely bombed as a Bournemouth player. And and I think. Just using that as a, an example, that shows you just how difficult it is to come up with a striker who is actually going to, you know, convert the opportunities. Rangers make enough opportunities; he needs to score the goals. But uh, you know, I think the point that both of you have made: there has to be a contribution from from someone else. The you know, if you if you play with one striker, he is all the onus is putting that one guy. So there has to be a contribution from 
you know, the, the, the three midfielders coming in from behind, whether it's the two wide guys or, or not. If you look at the way that Liverpool play, they don't play with, with a defined, you know, out-and-out striker. They play with more as a centre-forward, um, you know, bringing in the likes of uh, the two two wide players. And whether Rangers adopt that kind of tactic, I'm not quite sure, but that would put an even bigger onus on the guys out wide who really haven't, you know, maybe scored as many goals as they should have done. Well, Dominic Solanke was relegated today with Bournemouth, so maybe we'll be picking him up on the cheap. Um, yeah, for body parts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I like what you're saying about Rian Brewster, though. Um, and again, he's had a very, very good season at Swansea, as mm-hmm. far as I'm aware, the last few months, of, you know, certainly the second half of the season in particular. Um, I think he's been very, very strong, and that's one of the names that, that would excite me. Um I wouldn't be, you know, similar to David, I wouldn't necessarily be averse to a Lyndon Dyke or a Sam Cosgrove, but the, the points that you're making about the money that would be involved and for, for that calibre of player, probably not. Um, so it's interesting times ahead. I think let's now try and phrase this conversation with a lens on, on Aberdeen next week because this is going to be a very, very difficult um, opening to the season. Stuart, what would you do then in terms of the, the striker berth? If we're unable to bring anyone in, who do you get to, to lead the line? I, I, I really don't think there's an option other than bringing someone in. Uh, you know, there is nothing, even even though Rangers have had a decent pre-season, there, there is nothing for me to suggest that, for instance, if Rangers adopted the system that you know, Liverpool employ where it's your two wide guys, you know, Manny and Salah are the guys that are contributing the goals. You know, I, I think to suddenly rip up your game plan and say, this is the way we're now going to play would cause as much upheaval as not having an actual out-and-out striker. So I think that Rangers need somebody, whether it's somebody they bring in or whether it's, you know, somebody who's makeshift, I still think they need somebody to actually to lead the line. Personally, I think they would need to bring somebody in and maybe one, maybe even two players in. Um, and, and you know, I, I, by its very nature, playing a 4-2-3-1 formation, if you go back 20 years ago when, you know, one or two Spanish clubs, especially Valencia, played with that format, that was a way to go. But again, you, you put so much onus on the one striker that you have and the one target man that you have but not only has he to link up the the three uh, the three midfield players and bring them into contention he also has to score goals and I remember having this you know um debate with uh, Alex McLeish many years ago when he was saying yeah this is the this is the way that that you know you have to go because he wanted I think he wanted to play um Thomas Buffel behind uh Dado Perzo right and and it was like yeah okay I can see that uh, and then referred to Valencia that was the, the way Valencia played but Valencia had John Carew up front with Imar behind him you know what I mean it was <laughs> you're talking about a Rolls Royce and a Bentley sitting in your 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 driveway as opposed to you know a a Monday on a Fiesta and I think sometimes people get caught up in actually playing a certain system rather than suiting the players that you actually have. So the system that Rangers played suited them and suited Morelos. I, I I think it would be dangerous for Rangers to deviate too too much from that, you know. And I and I, and I think I can't see that happening a week away from start kicking off the season when you're going to Aberdeen. Whether there's a crowd there, whether it was a Wednesday night you played, whether it was a live game on a Saturday or a Sunday, it's a, it's going to be a difficult place to go and pick up a, a, a result, even by the psychology of it, just going there and actually getting a, a, a decent result. So I, I don't think you want too much upheaval. And just to find yourself with uh, either a, a new face or an old face stuck in a, a new position, going to Pataudry, I think that's something that has to be you know rectified sooner rather than later. Now, that's an interesting point about a, a new, uh, an old face stuck in a new position. David, if you are Greg Stewart at this point, are you kind of licking your lips and rubbing your hands together, thinking this is finally the opportunity you've been waiting for? Um, yeah, I think he's probably the only option there. But, I mean, Greg Stewart won't let us down on, on Saturday. That's that's for sure. I think um, 
I think he's been underutilised since he came to the club. Uh, I've watched him, you know, at Kelly for, for a long time there. Uh, I say a long time. Good, it was a good six months anyway. And he played. He played really well in that six months. Um, you know, if he's in the right environment, he can he can thrive. And I, I think that last season he could, probably could have been used in some of the league games after the Europa League ties on the Thursday night. Um, and he wasn't maybe utilised in the way he could have been. I think he had a couple of good cameos last season. But yeah, listen, as I say, good opportunity for him if, if it comes along. And I don't think he'll let us down. He's a good player, and um, if it comes to that, and that's who we've got to go with, then you know I wouldn't be worried uh, come Saturday. And I think it'd be a good opportunity for him to, to stake a claim as at least a first team player. Um, you know, I don't think he'll start every week, but certainly I would give him a chance to, to show what he's got. Again, I mean, again, David, and this, this is not disagreeing with you. I'm merely sort of reiterating the, the, the point I made about the the expectation levels and the pressures of guys who are already there. Now, you're mentioning about about Stuart. Some people will say, well, Barker could play there, Murphy could play there, Jones could play there, you know, Derek Johnson could play there. <laughs> Any name you want to throw up there, there is going to be an emphasis on that they are that they could be they could be again nothing's finalised or, or or done in terms of any kind of deal but they could be the guy to replace Morelis. Now that was that was a a label and a ticket that actually weighed quite heavily. I think last season at times on Defoe, who's a far more capable striker than anybody else who's available at Ibrox just now. Hence the reason why I think this is, you know, it, it, it has to be some sort of light for light move that you, if Morelos is to go out the door, you're you're bringing in somebody really really quickly, and because it, you know, I think even the guys in the squad are looking for somebody who identifies as being a striker and with a track record, as opposed to somebody who. Well, they've had a chance before and they haven't done particularly well. I think in going to Aberdeen of all places, I think you really need you really try to make a statement and trying to you know put a marker down for the, for the rest of the season. Now that that leads me on to quite nicely to the next question, Stuart. Putting a marker down and making a statement. We kick off you know, the, the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday um, to to open up the new season. With Celtic playing later and, and with the importance that's being placed on this season for the historic 10 in a row, as we're constantly reminded, just how important is it for Rangers to, even even on a psychological level, to get off to the perfect start and get three points on the board? Yeah, listen, I, I don't think you start, I don't think you start any season, think to yourself, well, it's a game against it's a game at Petodre against Aberdeen, you know. In, a, in the past, we haven't really taken anything from these games, so you know, might not lose too much ground. You, you have to be hitting the ground, you know, running. And a, and a, the psychological side of things is that you know will be that Rangers are going to Petodre and managed to get a result against Aberdeen. That is a psychology, not only in the the home dressing room, but. That'll be the, the psychology in other dressing rooms as well. I still think the season comes down to actually what you do against your, your nearest challengers. Um, and that's that's a, a discussion that people will have, you know, long into the season. But I, I think on this occasion, Petodre, you could never at any, any time say Petodre was a happy hunting ground for Rangers teams, you know, as far back as I can remember. Because I can remember really good Rangers sides becoming, you know, unhinged at, at, at Petodre. What I would say is that the one thing you would need to do is try and one, keep 11 players on the pitch, which so it might be no bad thing that Morelos might not be there. And, you know, and, and secondly, come away with something that actually adds to your pre-season, not like hitting the buffers and suddenly having to start again. I think Rangers have a, a, a you know a couple of results, both in France and and at, at Ibrox, where they could say, yeah, we're putting in, you know, we're playing pretty well, but you have to deliver domestically once the the real challenge comes around, and that's your bread and butter stuff, especially in the SPFL. So I think that Rangers are looking for a a a, a performance that you might describe as 
you know, having a bit of continuity about it, that you see the same things against Aberdeen as you've seen maybe against Coventry and against Motherwell, uh, and, and again, maybe as you've seen in France, rather than this being a completely, you know, rip up of the script and start again. Uh, you know, it's, it's a big game. Visits to Pataudry are big matches that you, you really have to try and win if you're going to have any ambition of actually being at the sharp end and, you know, in the mix come the end of the season. I think you're absolutely right, and and Pataudry hasn't, as you say, hasn't been a happy hunting ground, and we've let ourselves down really in a number of games against Aberdeen in, in the last three or four seasons. Um, I'm just taking a wee look now at their pre-season preparations, and and it's not gone overly successfully for them. It seems they drew two each against Ross County, lost two one against St Johnston, uh, and drew the other day there uh, one each with Hibernian. So they're testing themselves against you know, direct competition in the SPFL. Um, now, in our matches against SPFL, SPFL competitors, we've obviously beaten Hamilton and then comprehensively beaten Motherwell. So, David, I don't know how well you, you kind of know or have analysed this Aberdeen side, but in terms of a preview for, for next Saturday as we really get down to the meaty stuff, how do you view that Aberdeen squad? And in particular, where do you think that there are weaknesses that can be exploited? Well, just just on on what you sort of described as a pre-season, I think I think their their pre-season was quite curtailed by an outbreak of uh, coronavirus. So you know it didn't get off to a great start, and I think they were a wee bit behind everyone else. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound great for them. Um, obviously, they were in a bit of a you know uh, they weren't as good last season anyway as they had been um, in years gone by, but. Uh, in terms of specific weaknesses, it, it's quite difficult to tell, you know, because we're not sure exactly how they're going to to line up next week and, and, and really what they're, what they're like compared, compared to football, because like us, they've not the game, you know, for four months. So, yeah, it's difficult to pinpoint proper weaknesses. But, you know, I know you'd mentioned, sorry, we'd mentioned off air um, about the... You know, the idea of there not being a crowd and albeit we've you know had a, a massive backing up there you know they, it's not a great place to go for us in terms of it's, it's very hostile so you know maybe they'll struggle with that as well the fact it's a home game and, and they have no fans there um, and it's basically just a straight football match with nothing else taken into account um, for us I think it's important that we go there and, and play our own game and, and play with the same intensity that we showed against Motherwell through the week um, because in that game I mean Everyone just looked sharp, looked fit, looked, looked at it, and um, I think if we if we turn up and play with it, that sort of intensity and, and maintain it over ninety minutes, because that's actually <clears throat> been an issue for us at Aberdeen mm-hmm. over the past couple of years has been, you know, dropping off. And you know, we obviously played them two years ago in the first game of the season. Actually, being mentioned earlier about potentially having no real striker for the game on, on Saturday, I did think about that game because. Obviously, Morelos was sent off early doors, um, and we played, I think, 4-3-2 with Windass and Murphy coming in off the, off the wings that day. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've sort of, we've, we can see the late equaliser that day. Obviously, last season, um, at Pataudry, we, we gave up a two-goal lead. So, I think it's important to keep psychology <clears throat> going as, as long as we can. And, and make sure that we don't give away stupid goals because if we can if we can play with a good intensity going forward, then I think <clears throat> we definitely will score goals. Um, so it's just about keeping keeping them out the other end. But you know, as you say, it's it doesn't sound like a great preseason, and and obviously last season wasn't wasn't the best from their point of view. So we've just got to go there and make sure that we dominate um, from the first whistle. I think. Can I maybe just add one one other other point here, which is. Well, as football related, but it's completely unrelated. If, uh, if you see what I mean, it, we enter this new season in much the same fashion as we ended the previous season. That that nobody has a clue, you know, about how long football is either going to be away or going to be back for. Therefore, you know, the, the Rangers game at, at Pataudry, that could be the. The, the start of the season, the season could end, you know, touch wood, this doesn't happen, but the, the, we could suddenly be in another hiatus where after one 
round of league matches, you could suddenly be sitting for another three weeks or a month or six weeks with no football again, something because you do not know what's going to be happening given the, the health of the, the nation or what's happening within football. You don't want to be sitting for any period of time, whether it's after the first game or after five games, suddenly been, you know, not having any football for a month or whatever it might be, and, and think to yourself, that this season's already lost. You want to be absolutely, you know, kicking in from the off, getting a, a win on Saturday and following that up with a, another win and a win every other game because you do not know what's going to happen this season in terms of COVID and the impact that that could have again going into the winter months. Well, I think that's a, that's a really valid point, Stuart. And, and, you know, you just have to look at what happened in Paisley this week with, with a, you know, a sizable outbreak happening over at St Mirren. Um, has, I think that if we get through this season without any postponements, without any delays, that will be um, a, a miracle, really. And, you know, we had our first kind of brush with this stuff when we had the Motherwell game that was put back by two hours on, on Wednesday evening. Um, this is new for everyone, and, and this is a really strange way of working. And we can we can learn lessons from from what the Germans have done, from from what England have done. Um, it seems obviously that that we still have found ways of making mistakes. But I think you're right, Stuart. That uh, I, I quite like the psychology of sport, and it, it'll be a really interesting impact psychologically that that this will have on the players because we do not know at what point this season will be curtailed. And it's worth bearing in mind that if the season is ended prematurely, we have now got form for declaring champions. So, I mean... That, that doesn't mean to say it will happen again. No, of course no. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is that we need to make sure that we win by four clear goals on Saturday so that by 2.30 we can all go out and get infected, shut down the league and get the, get the season awarded to us. I mean, I think what I'm trying to say is by the fact that we don't know if, how, when the league will play itself out. And so if there is to be curtailment again, you can't let yourself drop away. You can't let yourself build up a gap between yourself and Celtic. So it implements this really strange psychological factor of almost yeah. every game being like a cup final. You don't Correct. know if it's your last game. Correct. And I think, I think that psyche is something that, you know, and I imagine every club might be saying it, but as, as, as we were referring to Rangers this evening, I think that is something that they have to have the, at the forefront of their thoughts, that this is a cup final, you play this game, like you play it as if it's your last game, and then you pick yourself up, dust yourself down, and you into the next game and, and approach it exactly the same way. And that that actually in itself could be enough to see you through this season. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, now, David... If we think back to the pre-season friendly, uh, so as we're recording this on Sunday, it was yesterday for us uh, against Coventry City. I think that this was probably, it, it sounds silly considering we played Motherwell earlier in the week, um, but Motherwell were certainly not up to, up to full fitness, it seemed. Coventry City, the way that they were set up with five at the back and, and playing very tight, very contained defensive football, probably posed to us the most realistic threat of a Scottish Premier Football, uh, Scottish Premier League football club this season, in the you know the style of opposition that we're going to come up against, and there was a large period of that match where we struggled to break them down, and it was frustrating. And I you know I texted folk during the game saying this is very very similar to certain games that we watched last season. Is there any concern as we as we go into the new season now? Any concern in your mind that we still have not found a way? to break down stubborn, stuffy defensive units? I think the, <clears throat> the proof will be in the, in the pudding in terms of the, the competitive games. But, you know, it, largely the similar sort of um, setup that we've got this season, uh, and that was a similar sort of thing that we came up against the Ibrox, especially last season. Um, I mean, I hope that we're, we're more... You know we can we can do a bit better and 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 you know uh, really get past defences a bit better, but you know the likelihood is we're going to bring in you know as we've mentioned throughout the show another two strikers. Uh, I think the key will be that that those strikers that we bring in are, are able to 
offer something different in the, you know, between defenders and, and give us an option there because that's been one of the biggest things is the side to side football, which is isn't enjoyable to watch. It isn't enjoyable probably for the players in many ways. We need someone with a bit more, you know, a, a dynamic streak in them that can that can find the ways through because it, I mean when you look at Morales at his best, you know, he's great at creating space for himself in the edge of the box and, and getting in between getting in behind the defenders, using his strength in his body. Um but obviously he's a, he's also got his, his cons which include, you know, his uh, temperament and, and his ability to you know control that. So I think the, the strikers that we choose to bring in will be a massive part of the way that we break down defences. And I'm sure that this is something that Gerard's thought about, you know, the best players to get the job done. And when you do bring players in, you would like to think that, that they'll be able to find the spaces that allow, you know, the likes of Joe Rebo and, and these kind of guys to find to find the, the right passes in the right areas. But, you know, it is difficult. And for any team, it's mind-numbing to have to try and break down these these five man you know, four, two banks of four or five man defences. Um There's one bank of nine if you look at it sometimes. <laughs> I mean what I, what I thought was really interesting, David, was that, that you had a, a pre season friendly that was almost set up like uh, a test session as to how you would cope with a particular with a team playing in a particular fashion, a particular style. I, I mean, I can't remember too many teams turning up for a pre-season friendly and basically, you know, doing a good impersonation of uh, an SPFL team playing at Ibrox. It was it was, it was, uncanny, actually. Um, and, and you're right, I think, you know, the, the Times Rangers struggled. But, but again, you're looking at some of the personnel and, I, and I, I, I can't help but think this is these are the kind of opportunities, um, you know, Forgetting the front man uh, or the striker uh, sort of questions just now, I think these are the kind of games where the likes of Kent and Hadji especially have to show their sort of creativity and either make, cutting through defences that were you know it was it was a, it was two banks yesterday it was, it was like five five four at times it was even you know almost like two banks of five at times but I think that that's a the, the, the test where the test will be that you have players who can create the space or create the openings or get the cut through that's going to give opportunities for others. Um, so so yesterday, I, I personally I don't think it was it was a, 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 a you know much of a, a game. It was as good as a game you're going to get for a preseason. But I think the reality was that that was a a good test for what Rangers might face very very quickly into this new season. I, I completely agree, Stuart. It was a very interesting test. I don't know if, if Coventry City were chosen because we knew how they might line up or if that was just you know, a, a happy coincidence based on where they are in their own pre-season schedule. But it, it did prove the most realistic test of what we're likely to face this season in terms of teams sitting back and us finding a way. And, and Joe Aribo has done incredibly well over pre-season, in my opinion, and, and showed again um, the value that he brings in terms of unpicking these defences. What does worry me slightly, and I think if we had another 45 minutes, we would go into this in a lot more detail. It does slightly worry that, me that Yanis Hadji becomes potentially a, a bit more anonymous in that type of game. Um, you know, I, I don't think he had his best game on, on Saturday there. And no. we saw that at times last season when, when teams were stuffy and teams were difficult to break down. He, you know, he struggled and he, he didn't thrive. So... You know, maybe that's just one thing to to keep in mind. But I I, I agree with, with what David's saying is that you know there are certain creative players that we will need to to shine against these defenses, and that's Hadji, Kent, Aribo. I hope that we as a team are not too hamstrung by a certain footballing philosophy because we we have the better players. You know, if you look at a team like Livingston or a team like Hamilton, we have the better players. We have the better footballers. So, to a degree, I always think you don't need to overcomplicate it. Let them go out and play football and show that they're superior. Um, and, and it should just be as easy as that. But, of course, football rarely is. I think the now, psychology part of it, so just very, very quickly, I think the psychology part of it is quite important there because I think if you've got Stephen Gerrard telling the likes of Aribo and telling the likes of Ken 
and telling the likes of Hadji, you are my match winners. You're the guys that I'm looking, you know, that I'm, I'm putting the onus on because I think you're the guys that can deliver. I think that mindset might bring more positivity from Rangers than these same guys not knowing whether they're going to start or not. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Um, I, I mean, David, David kind of said it. The proof of the, the proof is in the pudding, yeah. and we, it, it's it's very very hard to predict at this point. And and whilst David made a very good point earlier that you know we are we look at the, the team that's likely to start at the weekend, and and at least ten of them were playing here last season. What concerns me is that these are ten players who did not win the league, and and actually when you come down to the crunch of it, did not get as close as we might have liked. So it, it's a very interesting season. The psychology of, of COVID will have a massive impact. The, the, the fitness implications of the last four months will affect a number of teams in Scotland, I think. I don't know that every team will have been able to keep up fitness regimes and, and the like. So all of these different factors, even you know, as, as we've alluded to, the absence of crowds, you see what happened in Germany, where I think we had this weird situation of away teams were more successful than home teams following the resumption because the home advantage is gone. You know, mm-hmm. with, with the exception of, you know, having the, the comfier dressing room, it, the home advantage is completely gone because you don't have the intimidation of the crowd. And I, I believe that that's going to have a big impact on Saturday in particular, as we will not have that intimidation. Tav himself has said, you know, maybe mistakenly, but in those programme notes that he was so derided for, has, has questioned the mentality of his own team. And maybe this will have a, a positive impact on us that we won't have that that mental ferocity coming at them. We, we only have to wait and see. And, and thankfully, there's there's not too much longer to wait. Now, listen very quickly, just before we, we wrap up the show, because I think we've probably rabbited on long enough. Um, as I mentioned at, at the top of the show there, uh, another very sad week for, for the Rangers family this week as, as David Hagen passed away on Friday. Um, now, David had... Uh, a, a long career in Scottish football um, from from Rangers through to, to Hearts and, and Falkirk and then down the leagues with uh, Peterhead and, and Bowness United. Um, Stuart, what are your kind of memories of, of, of David who, who really made a successful career for himself in, in Scottish football in the 1990s? Yeah, I mean, he was one of... He was a, a player that came through... Um, uh, and emerged at Rangers, and he emerged into a Rangers team that, at that point in time, if you think back to like 1992, 1993, uh, it started the 93 season, that, that was a, a really, you know, successful Rangers side. Um, and David came into that team, and I knew him, you know, having, at the time I was with Evening Times, therefore you're almost in, embedded, as it were, with the uh, the, the, the Rangers squad in terms of every day you're at Ibrooks um, covering uh, you know doing the Rangers beat and he was a an enthusiastic youngster uh, and he'd seen the likes of what had happened um, with you know Neil Murray emerging and Stephen Presley emerging and Gary McSwiggan uh, emerging he'd also seen what happened to Gary who had come into the Rangers team and then was suddenly sold to Notts County. And, and David started that 93-94 season really, uh, really focused that he, he, he wanted to perform, he wanted to get his fitness levels up, he really wanted to show that he could, you know, he could play. And started the season, you know, fantastically well. I think it was seven goals and seven games he scored. And, you know... For, a, for, for anybody to come through the ranks at Rangers at that time was a, a major achievement, even just to get a, a, a couple of starts was an achievement because Rangers were so much this a finished article that there was very little we could do to that team that Walter Smith had that was actually going to you know improve it to, to any great degree. Um, but, um, you know, I, I got a message last night from um, a good friend of mine, Colin Miller, ex-Rangers, ex-Hamilton Ackies, uh, you know, former Canadian captain and, and a guy who, you know, like David, did the rounds um, in, in Scotland and played with David at, at Hearts. And I, and I think probably above everything that was said yesterday for me was the 
the take that, 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 that Colin had on, on David's career and basically said, you know, th- there was a guy who put everything into making it as a professional footballer, got his, res- you know, got, got the results, um, got the, the, the credit at various places like Ibrox and Tynecastle, play, you know, playing for Falkirk as well. And was just a thoroughly nice and thoroughly decent guy, you know. Um, I, I I think the whole thing around motor neuron disease and kind of my association with it just now, you 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 get to know that there's a an inevitability about what the outcome is going to be, and for David not to be with us, um, you know, at that age is. Tremendously sad, but for a lot of people listening and to, to this podcast, I, th- I think they'll be acutely aware that you know he lived the dream that many of them have had. He actually got to play a part in playing a blue jersey and playing in front of a full house, uh, Ibrooks, and to that end, I think that's how I would always remember uh, David Hagen. That and the fact that he left me with. Two cracked ribs, having jumped me, um, as Dav boys did from occasion on, a, on occasional times when we were out in Choco doing pre-season training. Um, it wasn't something I ever let him forget, um, and he usually just had this sort of cheesy grin and you know apologised yet again, uh, and I made him apologise because every time I, I, I met him over a, a number of years, I reminded him of it. But a really nice guy, and. It was a really, uh, it was a really sad moment for me on 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 Friday evening when I heard about his passing. But uh, you know, I, if anybody's out there listening to this, be it with a, a glass in their hand or even a cup of tea, I'd, I'd raise that glass to a thoroughly decent guy in David Hagen, and uh, he will be missed. Look, I think that's a that's a very touching and, and fitting tribute to David, who you know sadly passed away with, with motor neurons disease, which is a you know, a, a tragic condition that, that Rangers fans are, have sadly become acutely aware of over the past 12 to 18 months, obviously, with, with the passing of Fernando Rickson as well. Um, and, and really all I can do is, is echo that sentiment and, and pass on the, the, the best wishes, really, to, to all of David's friends and family from, from everyone here at Chersnet. And, and I agree that this is a, a guy who played for played the sport that he loved, for the clubs that he loved. And, you know, I think he, he was a Falkirk lad born and bred, I believe, and, and played over 100 times for his hometown club. And, and, and really that's, that's the perfect legacy for, for any football fan to have. So, um, of course, you know, desperately sad news once again um, to, to hear of him passing away. Gents, I, I, we've kind of run a wee bit over the hour there, so I, I apologise for that. But uh, I think it's probably about time that we wrap things up this week. Um, all we can do now is, is look ahead to next week when we'll have another show back and, and hopefully talking about how we've jumped to the top of the, the, the Premier League table with a, a resounding victory over Aberdeen. Um, it's, if nothing else, it's incredibly exciting to have competitive football back again for Rangers and it's certainly been far too long. Um, I'd like to say a, a massive thank you to, to both David and Stuart for their, their company and their insight this evening, um, which has always been very valuable. Um, the next show, like I say, will be back same time, same place next Sunday at 9.30 and will be available for download the following Monday. If you've not done so already, please do head over and check out the, the articles in the forums at www.jersnet.co.uk. Um, and as we say during during these strange and troubling times, um, please look after yourselves. Please stay safe. Uh, and until next week, bye for now.